0: We're in John chapter 20 today, verse 24 through 29. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God! Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I am not a patient person. In an odd twist of fate or, or perhaps move of the spirit, the least patient person on the Sojourn preaching team will now be preaching a sermon about patience to you. Uh, oh boy. Now, if, if you're new here, if, if maybe you're not even a Christian, you only came because the, 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 the person you came with kept bugging you to come, and so here you're here, and, and you've always thought that Christians are just full of it. Uh, we're hypocrites. Um, we, we don't live... Uh, what, what we claim, we're not who we claim to be we're not the saints that we claim to be this is all the proof you need because you can go home and you can say hey i, I finally went to church i went to this church and and the, the the preacher was preaching on patience and he even admitted he doesn't have any patience what's up with that and here's the thing we christians know that we're messed up and that's why we need jesus and so if you're here and you, you know that you're messed up, or even if you just know that you uh, could use more patience in your life, maybe you need Jesus too. And as I've, I've had to study for this sermon, as, I, as I've read the scriptures, as I've prayed, as I've started putting what God is showing me into practice, I can see how he's using this opportunity to grow me. And, and I believe he has something here for you too, if you're, if you're willing to hear it, because I suspect that one or two... Two or, or all of you also have problems with patience from time to time. Patience is the only virtue that we have to be reminded is a virtue. You ever had someone say that to you? Patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. And, and you want to say, I am losing my patience with you. So uh, just in case you, you think maybe you don't have trouble with patience, i, I, I put together a little slideshow. We're going to walk through some common scenarios and see if uh, you lack patience in each of these scenarios. So the first one we'll talk about is slow Wi-Fi. <laughs> now, now, this is me probably 20, 30 times a week. Uh, why is this taking so long to download? Why is this taking so long to upload? Why can't I open this? Why, why am I getting that little spinning wheel of death on the computer screen? Maybe it's not even the Wi-Fi. Maybe it's, it's something like email. Because we, we do this horrible thing to each other. Uh, email is, is wonderful. You can, you can type a letter to someone, and you can hit send, and it instantaneously arrives in their mailbox. Hmm, come on. But we all know that. And so you send someone an email, and you expect a response right away, right? Right? It doesn't matter if they're on vacation, doesn't matter what's going on in their life, doesn't matter if it's they're with their kids, doesn't matter if they've received 150 other letters in their inbox that day. You just sent it, you know they got it, you expect a reply. And so we lose patience with each other. The, the internet's making us less patient rather than more patient. Now that's that's new school. Maybe you don't even like the internet. Maybe we'll, we'll try a, a, an old school demonstration. So how about The traffic jam. Now, the the truth is, we seldom see traffic jams like this uh, unless there's major construction, there's a wreck or something. This is not Chicago. This is not LA. This is not Houston. Uh, I think for me, um, what really gets me sometimes is, is when there's not, doesn't seem like there's that many cars on the road and you come to a red light. Maybe you're second, third, fourth car back. The light turns green. Car in front does not go. What's up with that, right? Well, I know what's up with that. In my mind, they're playing on their phone. They're texting someone or they're checking Instagram to see what their friends had for lunch. They finally go. By the time I get to the line, now it's red again. Now I have to sit through a whole other cycle. Speaking of cars, next one. The D M. V. Now I have to give a shout out to the, the New Albany DMV. I've been there a couple times and, and had a real good experience. They've, they've gotten me in there and out pretty quickly. But most of the time in my life when I've had to go to a licensed branch, even if it's not a room full of people, for some reason, it takes forever to do the simplest thing. What about the next one? Slow service at restaurants. Even if you're just ordering a burger, like, you didn't have to, this is not some custom-made deal. I just want a hamburger with ketchup on it, right? Now, especially, especially if we go to fast food, because fast food, right? Fast food. It's supposed to be fast, and it's supposed to be food. (laughs) Now, now I have to go easy, uh, because my, my own son, Logan, works at Taco Bell, and he does a great job son. Those chalupas aren't going to make themselves. I'm hungry. Which leads me to our, our final exhibit, uh, misbehaving children. Here we have a, a scene. This is an actual Gillis family portrait from 11 or 12 years ago. So all of these children are now teenagers. Uh, these are my three boys as well as their cousins. And you see the babies all crying. The uh, the toddlers and the preschoolers are, are fidgeting, a uh, cousin at the far corner picking his nose. Uh, now, 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 what you don't know, what makes this worse is that this, this photo represents, this is the end of 45 or so minutes of this kind of behavior. Um, we, we, we had this professional portrait done. We, we wanted a nice photo. So we could show to, to everyone and say, they'd say, look at Look at those adorable kids. Look how well-behaved they are, sitting for this portrait, and oh, they're so cute. And instead, about 45 minutes of, of crying, of fidgeting, of, of pushing and shoving, and uh, trying to, to wander off into the mall, and, and it, it just wasn't fun. I lost my patience with the kids uh, quite a few times that day. We lack patience in all kinds of situations but there's a bigger picture that shows how they all tie together and shows that patience pays off. We already know that patience is good for us because God, our Father, is a loving creator, and and, and what he asks of of us are things that he knows will benefit us, right? Patience lowers our blood pressure, makes us less stressful, so it's literally good for the heart. Patience results in better decision-making. When you're impatient, you do do dumb things behind the wheel of a car, or you yell at your kids when you don't mean to. Patience helps us develop understanding and compassion, which leads to better relationships with your children and your spouse and your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends and all who are uh, in contact with you. So, Let's see what we can learn from this story of doubting Thomas, who had to wait eight days longer than all the other disciples to see Jesus after he had risen from the grave. When his friends described how Jesus came to them, Thomas said, John chapter 20, verse 25, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. The very form of his speech here shows the strength of his disbelief. He's not saying, if I see, I will believe, but unless I see, I will not believe. Now, before we're too hard on Thomas, let's remember that this story begins after all of the disciples, except Thomas, had seen the risen Savior. Let's back up a little bit into verse 19. That's Sunday evening. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and side. They were filled with joy. Notice it says, he showed them the wounds in his hands and side. Thomas just wants the same experience that they all had. He's not any better or worse than any of them. We call him Doubting Thomas. But every disciple was despondent from the time of the crucifixion to the time they had seen the risen Savior. None of them expected Jesus to rise bodily. No one in the first century Roman Empire thought that kind of thing was scientifically possible. You know, atheists today sometimes say, well, that that stuff about the resurrection of Jesus, you have to realize that everyone back then, they were just primitive, they were superstitious, they all believed that kind of stuff. No, no one believed that kind of stuff 2,000 years ago in the Roman world. No one thought that was possible. Now, what they did believe in uh, were ghosts. And this is probably what Thomas thought the disciples saw. And, and the reason I say that is there's, an, there's a, an incident earlier in the life of Jesus where the disciples see Jesus walking on the water. Matthew 14 Verse 26 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! Now, you know who else besides ancient people believe in ghosts? Modern people! 45% of contemporary Americans believe in ghosts. In fact, if Christianity was a hoax... All the disciples would have had to say was, you know, they killed Jesus, and they placed his body in the tomb, and yeah, his body's rotting, but his spirit rose, and his spirit appeared to us, and we saw his spirit, and his spirit ascended into heaven, and no one could disprove that. But that's not what the disciples claimed, because the resurrection was not a hoax. They saw Jesus in the flesh after he died, but not Thomas, not at First. So Thomas thought the same thing that we would think. Hey, maybe you saw a ghost. Maybe your eyes were playing tricks on you. Maybe it was some weird case of mass hallucination, but you did not see him. Thomas alone had to wait eight days. Now, eight days may not seem a long time to wait for something, but imagine if you had to wait eight days to find out if you got the job that you desperately need? What if you have to wait eight days to find out if the test results will show that it's cancer? What if you have to wait eight days to hear from a loved one who has gone missing? Eight days is a long time to wait. when Everything you've lived for, everything you've hoped for is hanging in the balance. And Thomas has never been the most patient guy. There's there's another incident from a little bit earlier in Jesus' ministry. Jesus had received word that his friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus was determined to go to him. But Lazarus lived in a town where there were people who had already tried to kill Jesus. And so in John 11, chapter 8, his disciples objected, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Long story short, Jesus said yes. And then, verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. All right, guys, seems crazy. This is what the boss wants. Let's get her done. Thomas doesn't understand what the death of Jesus will, will mean for him. Thomas doesn't understand this is the way that Jesus will atone for Thomas's sin and make possible life with the Father forever for Thomas. Thomas doesn't understand any of that. But Thomas is a don't-look-before-you-leap kind of guy. And now, fast forward to the events of today's story. Jesus has been murdered. It's been eight days since Thomas's friend saw him alive. Eight days. Imagine if the person you love the most dies. And then around 20 of your your closest companions claim that they saw your loved one after the funeral. What would that do to you? What would that do to your heart? Eight days. If Jesus isn't risen, then everything Thomas has lived for is a lie. A contemporary of Thomas and the other disciples, a man named Paul, uh, would later write, if Jesus is not raised, then our faith is useless, and we are the most miserable people on earth. Eight days. Jesus, if you're here, where are you? Why did you come to everyone but me? Eight days. And then the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed, he's overwhelmed and the glory of God breaks through him like a flood. He worships Jesus as God and Jesus being God accepts his worship. And Jesus is so patient with Thomas. He doesn't say to the others, get that guy out of here he didn't believe. We're blackballing him. He gently admonishes Thomas and every condition that Thomas had made upon whether or not he'd believe and Jesus Jesus met all those conditions. He said, "Come on. This is what you need. Come on." Then Jesus' final statement in this story verse 29, Jesus told him, "You believe because you have seen me." Christianity didn't begin with a group of people who believed something. It began with a group of people who saw something and then they believed. Our faith is grounded in the historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. And it's a good thing, too, because if Jesus didn't have power over death, then he didn't have the power to claim that his death counted in any way for us. He was just somebody dying for a cause that he wrongly believed in. But those first Christians knew that it counted because they saw him after he died. Jesus then says, Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Patience didn't really pay off for Thomas. Jesus paid off for Thomas, but Thomas had to learn patience the hard way. And it's more difficult for us because we have to wait a whole lot longer than eight days until we see Jesus face to face in the flesh. And so just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to come inside each of us. And it's this spirit living inside of us that allows us to remain in Christ, even though we don't see him. And this spirit allows us to bear these virtues that we call the fruit of the spirit, like patience. Patience is not impossible for you. It's not impossible for me. It's something God wants for us, and it's something that he came inside of us to do. So, what do we uh, do with things like slow Wi-Fi and uh, traffic jams? Is, is the lesson of today's story that you should be ashamed of yourself for losing patience in these trivial matters? Because look what Thomas had to endure. I don't think so. Because if we were in Thomas's spot, we'd behave like Thomas. And if Thomas was in our spot, he'd behave like us. Folks as folks wherever. I, I think there's something deeper here. So I want us to look at a verse, a famous bumper sticker verse, a, a verse that can only be true because Christ is risen, and a verse that we're, we're quick to apply uh, in devastating situations, in situations of extreme suffering. But we're, we're less likely to think of it uh, when we're talking about trivial, mundane matters. Romans 8, verse 28. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So if this is true, if everything means everything, then God causes the slow Wi-Fi to work for your good. God causes the traffic jam to work for your good. God causes misbehaving children and long lines at fast food joints or the DMV to work for your good. But how? Well, we think of these things as the the rain on our parade. What if, what if instead we saw them as the spring showers that the Spirit brings to grow the fruit of patience within us? Could it be that in the moment of even small frustrations, God can use your circumstance to make you more like Jesus and help you develop the patience you'll need in periods of more extreme suffering until you see him face to face? Could it be that these situations are like the training wheels God uses to help us learn patience until the day when frustration ceases, gridlock ends, and a long line is just a group of brothers and sisters who have all eternity to enjoy each other's presence? Well, yes, it can be, and we know that because of the two verses that follow the famous verse we just read. Look at this, verse 29. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So so here's the Bobby International paraphrase of these two verses. Now, paraphrase, not translation. I don't want any emails from the seminary students here. Paraphrase, God uses the traffic jam and the slow Wi-Fi to make you more like Jesus, your big brother. And it gets even better. Next verse, verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And some of your translations might say he glorified them or he made them participants in his glorification. And this is speaking about his resurrection glory. This means you get a new body too. This means what you'll experience is better than what Thomas experienced in today's story. Because when you see your risen Savior for the first time, you'll be looking at him with your own resurrected eyes that can never close in death again, that will never need a prescription again, that will never need eye drops again when you touch those wounds, it'll be with your own resurrected hands that can never wrinkle again, can never crimp with arthritis again. So here's what I want us to do with this. Here's a a big next step for us to take tomorrow. We're going to call this a day of waiting patiently. Tomorrow, Monday, first day of the work week, a day where, where, where we We strive to develop and cultivate patience. But here's what I don't want us to do. Uh, This is very important. You don't have to to be gritting your teeth uh, and just slogging through it like the Costanzas from Seinfeld shouting, Serenity now! (laughs) You don't have to do that. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Ask him to help you, and he will do it. Every time tomorrow when you're tempted to lose patience, ask him to help you specifically, I'd like you to, to ask him to help you do a couple of things. And you can write these down on your notes so you don't forget. The first thing, think about what Christ, like patience can look like through you. What kind of mark could we make on this city if we were known as a people of patience? What if People in New Albany and throughout southern Indiana said, you know, those sojourners, uh, they're Christians. I don't know that I believe in everything that they believe in, but I will say this, they're so gracious. They don't lose their cool. They don't blow their top. They're a pleasure to serve. They're a pleasure to work with. What kind of gospel witness would we create if we did nothing but that? The philosopher Edmund Burke said, we can achieve more through our patience than through our force. Think about that. We can achieve more for the gospel through our patience than through our force. Second thing, envision what you're ultimately waiting for. We aren't ultimately waiting for anything on earth, but the slow and frustrating experience of earth can help us develop the patience we need until the day we see him face-to-face, when what we accept by faith becomes sight. We're waiting, like Thomas, to be overwhelmed by the literal, physical, flesh-and-blood appearance of someone so beyond our comprehension that we can't help but fall to our knees and shout, my Lord and my God. Patience pays off. One day, just like Thomas, you'll see your risen Savior face to face. And he'll be with countless others who have died, including some from right here in our congregation. And he'll gather us all to a great feast. And I can can see Jesus lifting up the cup and saying a toast to our good, gracious Father, And in that moment, you'll realize this is all I was ever waiting for. And in that moment, you'll know the wait was worth it. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine, like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until we are together again. In just a moment, you'll come forward, tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it into wine or juice as your conscience permits. If you're in the back half of the room, we'll also have stations right in the back so you can turn around and get your communion there. Or if you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them over here in this far corner, my left, your right. If you're not a Christian, I ask that you don't come forward to partake of communion because it symbolizes a commitment and a faith that you don't have yet, that you haven't accepted yet. But instead, I implore you to seek Jesus. Read the Gospel of John this week, the whole thing. It won't take you very long. And ask him to meet you on those pages. And we can prepare you in the weeks to come to partake of communion, and to be baptized, to join this family that never ends, that only gets bigger, never smaller.